Well, let me mention a couple of things real quick before we get into God's Word today. And we're going to be in uh, two passages, or James 1, and you have them in your worship guide. And hopefully you've got your worship guide there. We're going to be in James 1 and Luke 6 in just a second. You received last week um, a sheet of paper. It's a survey sheet, I'm calling it, a survey sheet. And it says, on Sunday, May the 20th, during the Simple Church Workshop, the following terminology was formulated for our mission statement. Uh, people become mature disciples at our church by loving God, loving others, serving all, and then blank, disciple. And I provided for you six options, and we still want to get that op those options from you. If you've already filled that out, thank you so much. If you have not, we'd like to know your response. Uh, I do have some extras down here. What I want to ask you to do, if you're a member of the church especially, is you need to, if you can mark the one that you believe God wants us to use. And you'll understand a little bit better what we're looking for as we get through the message and then fold it and do not give it to me because I can lose things. It can happen. Do not give it to me. But when you step outside the church office, when you go around here, there is a, it looks like an offering type box. It's, it's white and brown. It's got a slot in it. And you can put it in there as a little sign. Somebody put there said ballots. And that's where you want to put it. So please put it there. Now only vote once. Everybody with me on that? Only vote once. No hanging chads or anything like that. So please be aware of that, fill that out. Let me mention something else. If you weren't here last week and you, you're wondering what is he talking about with these six things, I have my sermon notes down here as well. So if you want to take it, read the sermon notes so you'll see uh, where I'm coming from with these six different areas, which are developing disciples, growing disciples, making disciples, mentoring disciples, reproducing disciples, and discipling all. You can get that from the sermon notes. So I want to encourage you, if you want to grab a copy of my sermon notes, uh, they're multicolored. They're lovely. So we want to encourage you to get a copy of the sermon notes. You'll see where we are. And I'm going to collect these. We're going to collect these through Wednesday. But by Wednesday, I want to kind of nail down where we're going with that final, fourth and final statement. So please be aware of that. So the survey sheets are available and the sermon sheets are available as well. Well, we're still talking purpose, mission, and vision. Let's do a little bit by way of review. Let's talk about what a purpose is first. A purpose these are all important for us in the life of the church. A purpose is a reason something is done, created, or exists for our church, for the church, and the Christian in general. You can sum it up in this way. You can sum it up in this way. We exist and pursue our mission because of God's work in us and God's calling upon us. God's work in us and God's calling upon us. Because we've been redeemed. Because we've been forgiven. Because he saved us. Because his Holy Spirit lives within us because of his work in us and the promises he's made to us about eternal life, abundant life, and a home in heaven. That's our reason for doing what we do, but something else, it's also his calling upon us because he's called us to make disciples, because he's called us to be a witness, because he's called us to proclaim the gospel. We have a mission. So our purpose is our why. It's our reason. And everything flows out of that. Now, it can be any number of words, but do you get what I'm saying? The general gist of it is, is because of God's work in us, God's calling on us, we do certain things. And those things I define as the mission. Now, you notice mission, and we've looked at this as well. A mission describes what someone does and for whom they do it for. For the church and the Christian, our mission is what we ought to be doing because of our purpose, because of what Christ has done in us and has called us to do. We ought to be doing this. This is how you have defined it so far. People become mature disciples at our church by loving God, loving others, serving all, and blank disciples. 
Now, we talked last week about the fact that there are, I see six choices on the table. I was talking to my wife trying to get all these down, and I shared with you through the sermon last week these six different areas. And so what I'm asking you to do in the form of the survey sheets is to give feedback on the last one so that mission statement can be complete. Now, I'm going to dig down a little bit more with this phase four in just a second, but I want to remind you of that. And those four are developing, growing, making, mentoring, reproducing disciples, or the term discipling all. If you don't know where discipling all comes from, you'll read it in the sermon notes, all right? So let's just go back and let's, let's review this, this Christian life we're building, this mission life we're building, this church, this idea of the church body and what we're building it on, just using our building blocks here. So building block number one, does anybody remember what that is? It is Jesus. It is all about Jesus. He is the cornerstone. You come into this building project, numero uno thing you do is you're building your life on Jesus Christ. It is accepting him, trusting him, surrendering to him. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, there's no other foundation. You can lay your life than Jesus Christ. We're going to dig down a little bit more into this one next week. And in the following weeks, we'll look at each of these individually. And here's why. Because we need to get them in our head and we need to get them in our heart as a church family. We need to get them in our head and our heart as a church family. So you start off with building block number one. You've got to start here. You start with Jesus. Thinking about his commands, his promises, who he is as a person and what he's done for us. And it's doing for us. On top of that, you build, and this is yours, loving God. Built upon your relationship with Jesus Christ is the loving God aspect. And this, to me, is the worship aspect. It's the vertical aspect. It's the idea of me engaging with God through his word, through prayer. It's walking in a relationship with him. This is something that we have the privilege to do because our life is founded on who? Jesus Christ. We have that privilege in our life. This can occur through many different disciplines. I was talking with somebody about the spiritual disciplines this past week. Bible intake, whether it's reading scripture, memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture. Bible intake is a way that we can engage with God and worship. Singing praise is a way in which we engage him as we sing and we mean it genuinely. We're loving God. We're loving God. And the reason we love him is because he first loved us. And prayer is a part of that. Being obedient in our walk with the Lord as well, because here's the truth. If you don't do what you know you ought to do when God tells you to do it, it will affect your relationship with him. Will it not? It will. You're still his child, but it'll affect your relationship. So loving God is built upon Jesus Christ. And like I said, we'll dig down into these. Then it's loving others. Now, I do believe this is a general progression. Now, here's the truth. When you trust Jesus, you do become attached to this body of believers. You come attached to the body of believers. But fleshing that out takes time. Learning those, what I call the one another's. Out of love, serving one another. Uh, loving one another as Jesus loves us. Uh, admonishing one another, encouraging one another, edifying one another. We went, we've gone through all the one another's. Don't judge one another and all those different things. And we build that in our lives because of our one another's. Now, when I talk about the one another's, I am talking about the church, but I'm talking about more than the church, and here's why. Even the enemies of the cross and even the enemies of Christ, Jesus told us to do what? 
He told us to love your enemies, didn't he? And pray for them. And, and, and even Paul in Romans 12 said, don't repay evil with evil, repay evil with good. So loving others means others. Whether believers, non-believers, means loving others. But it's got to be built on these. You do, you never, y'all know, you do not, do you leave any of these to go to this one? No, you don't. Everybody with me on that? Is everybody awake out there? Everybody with me, okay? Now here's an important part, uh, point, and I made it last week, and I want you to think about this. The higher this stack gets, the stronger the bottom box has to be. Did you know that? The higher the stack gets, as you are deepening in your commitment with God, your relationship with Jesus better be stronger than ever. It better be deeper than ever. You better be walking with him tighter than ever. You need to be understanding his heart better. So you're not only going to not leave these things as you deepen in your commitment to the Lord. The things that are farther down need to become even stronger. You need to have a stronger relationship with Christ. You need to have a, a stronger personal worship in your life. All right? Everybody with me? So we got one more piece that you came up with. This is yours. And that's serving all. Serving all. And serving all means serving all. It means putting others before ourselves. And I mentioned the verse about uh, because we love one another, we serve one another. And certainly Jesus set the model for this, didn't he? I mean, he, he came and was the ultimate servant. And he told us to be servants as well. So we serve all. Now let me put a little caveat in here that I, I believe with all my heart. And that's this. This serving aspect has to have a gospel aspect to it. Now, I am very much in favor of feeding the poor and feeding the hungry and clothing the poor and helping the poor and helping those who have been treated unjustly in life. I want you to hear me say that. With their physical needs. Everybody with me on that? But if you do that, without a gospel aspect to it, you're missing giving them the most important thing that they need in all the world. And it does not have to be either or. It can be both. Because people need the Lord. Here's the truth. Whether you live life rich or poor or treated poorly or mistreated, there's one thing I'm certain about. One day each and every one of us will die. Can we say an amen to that? And one day... Many, many years from now, after you're dead, you will have spent more time in heaven than you have on earth. Okay? And heaven's real. Everybody with me? Heaven's real. And the thing is, this is not the thing. This life is not the thing. We're helping folks get ready for eternity. So do justly to other people. Help others who are struggling. Do all you can, but if you leave the gospel out of what you're doing, you're giving them an incomplete service because people need the lord that brings us to the final phase and it's the one that we're waiting to fill in phase four and here's the title of my sermon faces and phrases what does a phase four follower look like and sound like I want to dig down into that a little bit more today. What does a phase four follower look like and sound like? So, 
Let's stand in honor of God's word. James 1, 22 through 25, and then Luke 6, 45. James says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, they look like they're a believer. It's the idea. This one will be blessed in what he does. And then Luke 6.45, Jesus said these words. These, are, these can be convicting. At least they are for me as I think about this. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, look what it says, his mouth speaks. What's in your heart will flow where? Out of your mouth. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'll speak to us today through your word. Lord, I pray that you help me to be faithful to your word. Lord, I pray that you will individually and as a church build upon the rock of Jesus Christ and that we'll do it in such a way that we'll be an awesome witness for you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now we just want to understand and do your will. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's talk about these two areas, two things today. What does a phase four follower look like? What does a phase four follower sound like? First, what do they look like? Here's some phrases I want to share with you. First, they are intentional and strategic. They are intentional and strategic. Someone at this level of commitment, this phase four level, is very purposeful and premeditated in their walk with the Lord. They do what they do in their faith for a greater reason than just to satisfy their own needs. Their faith is not self-serving, it is selfless. They have a strategy and a plan for sharing Jesus with others. Think about that. They have a strategy and plan for inviting others to church. They have a strategy and a plan for helping others get connected with other believers. Because they know it's important. They have a strategy and a plan not only in their own service, to the Lord, but they're helping others find their place of service as well. They have a strategy and a plan for leading. In short, they have a strategy and a plan. They have a strategy and a plan. After all, didn't, didn't the Trinity have a strategy and a plan? Ephesians 1 tells us before the world was ever created, God knew, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what they were going to do to redeem mankind. And it was fleshed out at the cross. Jesus had a plan when he was here on earth, didn't he? He told them, the, the Son of Man comes to seek and save that which was lost. Paul, when you read Paul's life, he had a plan. God gave him a plan. Now, it wasn't his plan, it was God's plan, but there was a strategy and a plan. And a phase four person has a strategy and a plan. They're very intentional and very strategic. Now, just to be intentional and strategic may or may not matter, because let's be honest, the, the devil has a strategy. Y'all know that? The devil has a strategy. But it's that this phase four person looks for God's strategy and seeks to win folks to the Lord. They do not do their faith accidentally, but live out their faith intentionally where they desire to advance others in their faith as well. That's what someone 
at this level of commitment looks like and you see it in the way they live their lives. Second thing I want you to see is they're team-minded, reproduction-minded, and mission-minded. This person sees themselves as part of a team of people working together to accomplish an important goal by fulfilling their God-called role. They see themselves as part of a whole. Scripture speaks of this, that we're all working together toward a single goal. Even if our roles are different, we're all a part of God's team moving toward a particular end. Too often I've heard in church life, not here, but in other places. I won't say if I've heard it here, but I've heard it in other places. People will use language like this, and I'm getting over in the second part of my sermon. Well, those folks at the church, they do so and so. If they, y'all with me on the pronouns? If they would do that, uh, then we could get some done. If they would only listen to me. We, here's the we, us and them, us and them. Does anybody, you know what, don't raise your hand or anything, don't even nod. The us and them talk, the us and them talk, okay? Here's the deal. It can be tempting for a preacher when he hears that to say, wait a minute, you're the they. Because who are we? we? It's not a we, us versus them. It's us all together. Is it not? It's us all together. So that team-minded approach has to be clear. And a phase four follower has a mature mindset, and they say, you know what, I'm going to be, I don't know if I'll have the C on my jersey, but I'm going to be a captain of this team, and I'm going to lead this team in being a team that it needs to be, and we're going to be together on this. They're team-minded. The second thing they are is reproduction-minded. Reproduction-minded has the idea of they live a life that's worth imitating as much as they imitate Christ. That's one part of it. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 last week where Paul said, imitate me, speaking to the Corinthians, as I imitate Christ. Well, it's the idea of reproduce what I'm doing as I'm reproducing what Christ is doing. And, and, a, and a phase four follower of Jesus wants to reproduce Christ in others. They want to share the gospel. They want to see multiplication of the gospel. They want to see other Christians birthed within the corporate church setting. Within the church setting, they want to see new classes started. Within even the larger church setting, if it's possible and necessary for the sake of the gospel, they want to see new churches planted because they're reproduction-minded. And they're seeking to, they understand this, they understand this, that their lives are going to be imitated by someone. It may be a third grader, or it may be a 30-year-old, or it may be somebody at work, it may be whoever, but they want to live a life that's worthy of reproduction. They're reproduction-minded. Number three in that is they're mission-minded. They're mission-minded. This person also has the mission of the church on their mind. And I mentioned this at 9.30 and I mentioned 9 a.m. and I mentioned it here. I, I'm not a, this is a pet peeve. It's probably picking at something that doesn't matter, but I don't like the word missions, plural. I just don't like the word. Let me tell you why. The church has one mission, that's it. Now they may do it in many different places. They may use many different methodologies, but there's only one mission. It is to make disciples of all nations. As we learned last week, literally Jesus said, disciple all nations. It's to be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I understand there's many mission opportunities, but beloved, there's only one mission. 
That's it. And we are mission-minded. The way we express our mission at this point is based on Jesus Christ. We're going to love God, love others. We're going to serve all. And we're going to do what it takes to bring spiritual maturity to others as well and be that mature example. The mission-minded person accommodates their life. Listen, the mission-minded person accommodates their life to fulfill the mission, not accommodates the mission around their life. Next, they are self-feeding and dependable. They're self-feeding and dependable. This person at this level of commitment knows well the Word of God and how to study it. They're saturated in it. They understand how to do interpretation. They understand context. They can discern those folks who know the Word of God and those who don't. They have a sense of, of understanding right and wrong in the Word of God. They know how to study it. Just as there comes a time in a physical child's life where they're expected to feed themselves, wouldn't you agree that's a good thing? Okay, I think I'm looking at everybody here and I'm thinking you all want your children to be able to feed themselves at some point. All right? Just as we expect that in physical life, we ought to expect it in spiritual life, should we not? There ought to get to a point that for you and, and for, your, for spiritual children, you want them to be able to feed themselves. Their excuse for leaving a church will never be, I'm not being fed. Their excuse for leaving a church will never be, I'm not being fed. You know why? Because they don't need the preacher to feed them. Because they can feed themselves. As a matter of fact, not only do they feed themselves, they're pretty good spiritual cooks as well. Do you understand what I mean by that? They can explain the Word of God as well. They can teach the Word of God. So they're self-feeding. The person is also one who's expected to be very dependable. That means they can be counted on to keep their word. They are faithful. They are consistent. Not only could you leave your kids with them, you could leave your Sunday school class to them. They keep their word and do not make promises they can't keep. They're not perfect. We, only, we understand there's only one perfect person. And it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. But I think God calls us to dependability and faithfulness. Amen, church? He calls us to that. And finally, they desire to see the people they work with mature. They desire to see the people they work with mature. They, these mature believers, these phase four followers, want to see others grow in their faith. They want to see people saved. They want to see people, more people in the fellowship. They want to see spiritual infants under their care. And they want to take great responsibility to help those spiritual folks leave the nest and go out on their own. When it's time, they want to mature disciples. They want to help mature disciples, but they also want to help multiply disciples. They want to see the church grow, not just physically, which I think is legitimate, but they want to see it grow spiritually as well. That's what they want. And they're willing to do what it takes to do it. That's a phase four follower. That's what they look like. That's what I believe they look like. And that's what I want to be. Well, that's what they look like. Let's talk about how they sound. These are some phrases for this phase <clears throat> that I think a person who's at this place is what you might hear come out of their mouth. A friend at work wants me to explain the Bible to him. Will you pray for me? This statement implies that the phase four followers not ashamed of their faith in the workplace. 
However, they're not obnoxious about it either. The motivation for sharing the Bible came from the other person and not shoved down someone's throat. They have lived their lives and spoken of God's word in such a way that others, not only at church, but in the world, know that they're a Christian. And notice that the face for follower doesn't outsource this responsibility to someone else. They don't say, I got a guy at work who wants to know about the Bible. Preacher, come talk to him, or you come talk to him. They take the responsibility because they understand that that person at their workplace is their mission field. Did you know that? Your workplace is your mission field. It is. Your workplace is your mission field. So they understand that. Now, that also means they also don't do it alone as a lone ranger. It also means you desire help with it. So you say, pray for me. If you have questions, you're willing to say, you know what, I'll get back to you on that. But you understand that God has you in this world for a specific purpose. It's to make disciples. They take responsibility, but they understand they can't do it without God's grace and strength. Here's another question. Can you help me find a place of service for someone I know who feels God's call? For the phase four follower who is serving as God desires for them to serve. They want the same joy for others as well. They want others to achieve spiritual advancement and edification in their lives. They want them to learn about their gifts and callings. They also know the importance of working as a team of people. They don't assume they know it all, but, but, but they call in others to provide wise counsel and help them make the right decision. And they are sensitive enough and close enough to others that when God is calling a person to do something, they are there and aware of what's going on. This is what a phase four follower would do. Here's another question they would ask. I can see coming out of their mouth. Will you hold me accountable for helping my kids grow spiritually? Will you hold me accountable for helping my kids grow spiritually? The phase four follower takes the spiritual life of their children seriously. They truly believe and act like the spiritual growth of their children and grandchildren is more important than anything else. They probably put more energy into this than they do their child's education or their extracurricular events because they understand this is what matters the most. For the phase four follower, the role of helping your children or grandchildren grow into mature followers of Jesus Christ is not primarily the responsibility of the church. It is yours. It is mine. It is the parents' responsibility. And they understand that. They understand that the church has a role, and a very important role. But when it comes to the, the spiritual nurture of my children and our children, the parent holds the primary role. That's the biblical pattern. Now, we understand there are kids who, who don't come from those environments, and we want to help them. But I'm speaking of that person who does have those children in that phase four level they also understand they need the church's prayer support more in order to effectively train and edify their children and grandchildren here's another question or statement i think that they would say where do you think our small group should go on mission we're ready to go where do you think our small group should go on mission we're ready to go the phase four follower is not just about gathering with others in a small group 
just for the sake of the small group. You will not hear a phase four follower say, boy, I love my group, isn't this a cool group? I hope nothing changes in the group. Let's not add anybody to it. Let's just keep it just the way it is. And everybody gives a big warm hug. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, hey, isn't this great? We can come together and we can learn about God's word and we can learn about God's will. Let's get out there and do something for the Lord. Let's get out there and go, miss, where are we going to go? They don't have to wait on the church either. Did you hear what I just said? I'm the pastor, okay? They don't have to wait on the church either. I think it's awesome for small groups and classes and departments to say, hey, we want to get on mission for Jesus. And go do it. Go do it. That's what a faithful follower does. This person leads their group and is a part of a group that's, it's a, I call it an Acts 1-8 group, and we're going to get into the book of Acts probably later on in the summer. But it's the idea of reaching your Jerusalem, your Judea, and your Samaria, and your uttermost. They are doing mission work and leading others to do it as well. And here's the last phrase that I want to put before you is for your consideration. I need to get my friend who is saved plugged into a small group. And a small group can be a Sunday school class. It can be one of our Wednesday night classes. But in with other believers so they can talk. Because generally, there's not much discussion that goes on in a worship service. Wouldn't you agree? And that's fine. But you need an opportunity to talk out these things. And you need a place to do them. All of you do. So you're concerned about your friend who just came to know the Lord getting connected with others. And staying connected. They want them connected to other believers in a small group. They invite them to a small group and keep inviting them. They know the need for fellowship and the one another's. And they are faithful to a small group as well. Because it would be very hypocritical for me to invite you to a small group if I'm not going myself. Wouldn't it? So they're faithful. They're faithful. So those are the faces and the phrases of a phase four follower of Jesus Christ. And I know that that's a mouthful, but it's extremely important. Because here's the deal. When Jesus saved you, when Jesus saved you, he just didn't call you to hear. Although you may be there. Or hear, or hear. He called you to be totally surrendered to him. Amen? So are you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to ask you this. How does your life look? How does your life look? If your neighbor were to follow you around for a week or two, because they probably would need as much of that time to figure it out, would they see a person who's living life intentionally and strategically would they see somebody who's, who's focused on the mission and part of a spiritual team? What would they see? What does your life look like? Does it, does it look like you're deeply committed to the mission? Does it look like it? And how does, how does, your, how does your speech sound? Because whatever is in your heart, Jesus said it. You get full enough of something in your heart, it will flow out of your mouth. That's what Jesus said. So if somebody were to follow you around or just maybe put a, 
one of those electronic bugs so that they could hear what you say and they could do that. Your neighbor would just hear you for a week. Who would they think is your God? What would they think was important to you? Why would they think you think you're here on this earth? Would the overflow of your heart that comes out of your mouth reflect Jesus and your mission? I pray today that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you will come to know him. I pray today that if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you'll come to know him. Here is the gospel. Here is the good news. Here's where you can start. The very bottom. God loves you and has, you see it, the plan for your life. And it's awesome. I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard. It goes against the grain. It's unpopular. But it is so awesome. But here's our problem. We think we're smarter than God. And we sin. We break God's law. We have failed to do what God has called us to do. And because of all those things, sin is in our lives, it's in our hearts. And the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. God knew that that we were going to do that, so he made a way through his son Jesus. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if you have never done it, then surrender your life to him. Give your life to him. Begin building your life on Jesus Christ. There's nothing better. I want to pray for us. Then we'll have our time of invitation. And if God has spoken to you during that time, now is the time for you to respond. Father, I lift this congregation up to you. I pray, Lord, that if there are issues here that they are struggling with, if if there are non-believers here, people who have never founded their life, put their faith and trust in Jesus, Lord, Pray that they'll do that today. Pray that they'll do it before the day is over with. Lord, I pray that they'll make that step of commitment in their lives. Father, I lift up those here who have trusted in Jesus, those who are believers, who have that first foundation set. But you warned us, Lord, if we build on top of Jesus things that are of a particular value, Lord, they may not mean anything at the end. We need to build our lives right. You tell us in your word to take heed how we build. Be cautious how we build. And Lord, I believe we ought to be building on loving you in in this awesome worship, Lord. And we ought to be loving you, whether it's personal or corporate, genuine, awesome worship. And praise to you in a right relationship with you and we ought to be loving one another as we should and we ought to be serving all as we should and Father, whatever it takes for that last step, whether it's growing, developing, making, mentoring, reproducing or discipling all, Lord, whatever it is, or let us do it. Let's just not write it on a page, but let's do it for your glory. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.